So we're going to talk about uh, membership. We've been going through a series, as you know, about the marks of a healthy church. And we've come to, to membership. Not membership in the sense of whether the church has a list of uh, um, names um, that they maintain, but what it means to have real and, and meaningful uh, membership. And if you're a Christian, if you have come to faith, you're part of the body of Christ. That is part of the one universal church of which every Christian is a member. But this morning we're going to consider membership not of that universal church, but of the local church. Not of the one body of Christ, but of the local expression of that body. If we are writing in the, the way that many of the epistles are written, the way that Paul uh, writes to the church in Corinth, we, we talk about membership of the church of God that is in Summer Street, or the church of God that meets as Hebron. So maybe membership of uh, Hebron here is not something that we think about very often. I'm not sure that over the years I've heard uh, many sermons on the topic. But I want to, to start with the, the statement, uh, the truth that every Christian is to be a member of a local body of believers. Every Christian is to be a member of a local flock. Remember in Acts chapter 20, Paul's on his way to, to Jerusalem and he calls the Ephesian elders uh, to him in Miletus. And he says this to them, that they are to keep watch, uh, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Um, he calls them to be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So these men are described as elders and overseers and shepherds and, uh, of the church in Ephesus. They've been given responsibility, not for every Christian worldwide, but specifically for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit had made them overseers. In other words, uh, the people they were to shepherd were identified, they were identified as uh, the members of the flock in Ephesus. The New Testament contemplates uh, that every Christian will have a group of elders charged with his or her pastoral care. And there may be times when, um, for whatever reason, someone is maybe moving to a new city or, or whatever, and they haven't joined um, a new local church, and they're taking time to, to visit and to um, visit different churches and to consider which one to join. And that's um, understandable and prudent and wise. But that should take no longer than is necessary to make that decision. Because as a Christian, you need to be a member of a local flock and to ensure that you're under the care of a group of elders, uh, care of a fellowship, being under, because being under that care is a gift which God has given to you for your protection and blessing. There's a similar point that can be made from Hebrews uh, chapter 13, where there we read, have confidence in your, uh, your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those 
who must give an account. So Christians, as it were, is not called to submit to all elders everywhere, but specifically to your leaders. And if you're called to, as it were, to submit to your leaders, that presupposes that you have leaders, which presupposes that you are a member of a local uh, body, a local um, fellowship. And that is the, the expectation of, uh, of the scriptures. Now, it's not the, the focus, having men, mentioned about submission to, to elders, it's not really the focus uh, of uh, what we want to um, talk about this morning. Um, but I thought it would be worth, uh, since I mentioned it, to, to make uh, three uh, brief points about it. Uh, the first is that the Word of God indeed does call Christians to, to submit to their leaders. And that might sit quite uncomfortably with uh, some, given the prevailing culture, particularly the culture in the West, not necessarily in all places. Uh, but it is what the Bible says. Secondly, there are limits on that submission. It must, uh, because the submission must be consistent with God's word. You remember um, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, they're called before the Sanhedrin and they're commanded not to preach or teach any more in the name of, of Jesus. And you remember their, their response. You, know, you have to judge for yourselves whether it is uh, we should obey you or to obey God. So there are limits on the submission. Um, and there are even times when people need to be uh, removed from, from, from leadership. So there are limits on that submission. Uh, and the third point, just to, to make briefly, is the nature of biblical uh, leadership and how that is to be characterized by loving service. If we think of the example uh, of, of the Lord Jesus as the great shepherd, as the one who came to uh, serve and not to be served. And of course, he, he, he said there that we've not to take uh, our example of leadership from the world uh, around us uh, and you know people lording it over others but um, to serve rather than uh, to be served so every Christian should be a member of a local uh, body of a local flock uh, they, they might have um, elders uh, leaders uh, to whom they can and can submit and that is the the expectation and the assumption of, of Scripture. Secondly, the members of the local body are to make meeting together a priority. Well, of course, during the, the, the COVID uh, restrictions, there was a time when we weren't allowed to, uh, to meet together. Everything was, uh, was online. Um, it's lovely to be able to um, say that on maybe the first Sunday when we've been slightly freer to come and, and to meet. Uh, but perhaps for, for some the question arises that since I can have access to good teaching online and I can have access uh, via YouTube or whatever to uh, good uh, worship music, um, is it still necessary for me to um, meet physically with other Christians, or is continuing online um, an option? Of course, there may be reasons uh, why people can't physically physically meet. Uh, they might be ill, or there might be health reasons why they're, they're shielding. But 
if we can attend, um, then we should. Hebrews uh, chapter 10 says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I suppose I can, I can go on to uh, the internet and I can listen to the, the best preachers, preachers with world-wide reputations. I can listen to them online. But it's not the same as listening to someone face-to-face that I know and who knows me and whose life I can look at and examine and see, see their example. The teaching, the experience of that is, is different from just listening to, to someone online. It has a different impact on me. I was even thinking, you know, as we, as we gather together and we, we hear, you know, we have the opportunity, and, and I say this because I don't really do it, and, and you know, when you're, you're preparing, you, you think about things and you reflect that, you know, after the service, and we're chatting, and we're maybe out, out the front, and we're speaking. You know, maybe there's an opportunity to discuss some of the things that have come out of uh, what's been said, um, an opportunity there that we wouldn't otherwise have if we were just online. And there's something about, I think, worshipping together in the same place, coming together corporately to worship. I remember a few Sundays ago when we were, um, you know, after this period where the only singing was by maybe two of the singers up front, and suddenly we were allowed to sing together corporately as a, as a body. And just how much I'd missed that. And I really hadn't appreciated just how much I'd, I'd missed being able to worship God in song uh, together. There's something different about that. And I reflect back to this um, verse in Ephesians that I read, that in him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In the sense that you know, we worship God individually, but we worship God uh, collectively also. And so I can make an argument that you know, we, we, we sang at the beginning, you know, come people of the risen king. And I can go on to, to YouTube and I can you know, listen to Keith Getty playing the piano but I can make the argument that listening to Ash play the piano as we gather here together is, is, is real and meaningful in a way in which um, you know, it, it isn't when I'm just online. Or, I, or you know, as we gather to, to, together um, and we listen to uh, the, the, the singing, as we listen to Jen and, and Ben lead us, in the singing, that that is real and meaningful and special in a way in which if I'm just sitting at home and I'm listening to, to Chris and Getty singing that song, it, it's, it's not as, uh, as meaningful. Um, and all of that may be true, but in a sense it's not really the point that Hebrews 10 is making. And of course Hebrews is written in the context of the early believers and the persecution and the difficulty and the struggles they were going, they were going through. Because Hebrew 10 calls us to make meeting together a priority for another reason. And it's that by meeting together, we have the opportunity to spur one another on. Who's the, the, the one another? It's, it's our brothers and sisters in Christ that we meet with, that we've committed to, 
in the context of the local church. Of course, you might think, well, of course, that doesn't require membership in terms of my name being on a list, and that's true. But if you're doing everything that the scriptures describe and call us to as a body, why would it be that you would not call yourself a member of the flock and be recognized by others as a member of the flock? Why leave that to be ambiguous? And there's also the question that if you've not fully committed yourself uh, to be a member, could it be that um, your participation is not as full and as meaningful as it could be if you had made that uh, commitment? At this point, I, I just kind of want to go off on a little bit of a tangent um, and just share a quote that I came across uh, several years ago. And this, this, this is a quote that um, hopefully will appear just on the screen that we, we um, took out. I um, hope you can uh, read, um, read that quote there. This came up actually in a course I was at through, um, th- through works. Quite an interesting quote. It might be familiar to a few of you. I'm pretty sure that the people who were leading the course, just from a variety of conversations, knew what the first part of it meant. I'm pretty sure they didn't fully understand the second. This uh, quote comes from... Um, a book written by uh, a guy called William Hutchison Murray on the Scottish Himalayan expedition. I hadn't actually known there was a Himalayan, Scottish Himalayan expedition in 1951. He, he, he wrote this. Uh, just let me um, read this to you about uh, the nature of commitment and the difference that commitment makes. Um, he, he wrote, um, but when I said that nothing had been done I erred in one important matter. We had definitely committed ourselves and were halfway out of our ruts. We had put down our passage money, booked a sailing to to Bombay. This may sound uh, too simplistic, but is great in consequence. And then he goes on to describe the, the difference that having made that commitment made. He says, until one is committed, there is hesitancy. The chance to draw back always in effectiveness. And he goes to make the the second point. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never have occurred A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favour all manner of unseen incidents and meetings and material assistance which no man could have dreamt would have come this way. And it's an interesting quote. And I think it's very true about the the nature of of commitment generally. And I want to take that and and think about it in the context of being a member uh, of Hebron, of this local expression of the body of Christ because when you become a member of, of this church you're making a commitment you're making a commitment to serve Christ as part of this local body and to love the other members of this fellowship 
You've settled the matter. There's no hesitancy. There's no reserving the flexibility to draw back for a time if it's inconvenient or if you don't feel like it or to stop attending for a while and go somewhere else. The decision has been made and the focus is now on putting it into practice. The nature of the commitment inherent in membership. And having that is just helpful for us to have done that. The second point which, um, which he makes in that quote, um, which again was in a different context but is relevant, I think, to membership here, is that when we come and put that commitment into practice, we do so resting in the providence of God. We don't know what, what lies ahead of us. We don't know what opportunities there will be to, to serve. But as you step forward, God honours the fact that you've stepped forward in faith and committed yourself to membership in all its, its fullness. And that's the case when we, we first join. It's the case in every year uh, thereafter, however long we've been a member here. Do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. So we want to make um, meeting together on a Sunday a priority. Uh, we want to give priority to meeting uh, together in home groups. We want to take the opportunities that meeting together affords to spur one another on and to encourage one another. There's a really helpful uh, illustration of this. Um, if, you, if, you barbecue, if, you barbecue, if you barbecue with charcoals, if you've got a gas barbecue, this, this analogy doesn't work quite so well, but um, if, you, if you think of, of charcoal in a barbecue, and when all the charcoals are, are together, you know, they're hot and, and, and um, you're successful, but if you take one of the the barbecue coals out and you put it separately, it'll eventually go, go out. And it's a good illustration of um, meeting together and the importance of meeting together and spurring one another on that we can continue um, in that way. Having talked about um, the priority of meeting together, let me just make one further point on that. And that's to, to refer to a passage in Ephesians chapter 2 which says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And, and the reason I wanted to mention that is that God has prepared in advance for you to do a whole series of different things. Some of that will be to do with family. Some of that will be uh, to do with friends. Some of it will be to do with uh, work, if you work, or education, if you're in education. Some of it will be to do with church. And God has called us to do good works in all of these. And so when we talk about the priority of meeting together, we do that in the context of all of the priorities God has given us and the commitment that if we are to do all of those things, we need to be wise in how we balance our time, not giving too much priority or over-prioritizing one thing over, um, over another. So I thought that was important to, to say um, by way of, um, of balance. The third point that I really wanted to, to share with you uh, has to do with the identity of the Christian as being a servant of God. And when I was preparing for this, I looked through some of the introductory words 
uh, the introductions to, to the epistles. I was actually quite struck by how many of them um, um, in, in, in those introductory words where, where the writer referred to himself as a servant of, of God. And that's undoubtedly how the apostles saw themselves and it's how we see ourselves uh, also. And so when we think about membership, we're saying that membership of Hebron um, is a commitment to live out what it means to be a servant of God by serving alongside others uh, here. I'm conscious that uh, for, for some, there are, as it were, too many opportunities uh, to serve and that they're overstretched. I'm conscious, too, that there are others who are looking for opportunities to serve and are maybe slightly frustrated because they want to be involved and they don't know uh, how to go uh, about that or perhaps they feel maybe reluctant to, to put themselves forward or, or to make that known. And so we want to, to say very clearly that we want everyone to have an opportunity to serve. And if, if that's on your heart to do something, then, then come and speak to, to one of the elders. Go and speak to uh, whoever's involved in, in the particular ministry that you would like to be involved in. Don't feel reluctant to do that. Um, don't feel that, uh, you know, if you've got a heart to do it, please share that. I also wanted to, to share with you that we've been um, trying to prepare a list of all of the different uh, jobs, all of the different opportunities to serve and try and map out who, who's doing what, just as a piece of process or admin to, to help us do that. So we're, um, we're committed to doing that. If you feel uh, overstretched, we're, we're trying to, to address that in, in that way. If you are looking for a way to be involved and you're finding that uh, difficult or you're not quite sure how to go about that, then, you know, I say, please come and speak to us. It's good to be able to, to serve in that way. It's, it's, it's also, um, you know, there's a real fellowship in being able to serve alongside uh, one another, uh, to get to know to, to one another. And that might be in, in some form of outreach or, or evangelism, um, some, some form of ministry there. Uh, it might be, um, as it were, a commitment to live out what it means to be a servant of God um, by serving uh, other members here at, here at Hebron. Um, and I, I was thinking about um, a well-known passage in Matthew 25 where um, the Lord is, is talking about the nature of, of true faith in terms of serving uh, other people. And uh, I just wanted to, to sort of part the way down. It's a familiar passage where he says, um, where the Lord is, is, is teaching, and Jesus says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison and go to visit you. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now there's, there's um, 
you know, the, the main context, the main focus of that is, making, is meeting uh, the basic needs of people, of, of basic needs of other, of other Christians. It refers to, to that. And to the least of these, my brothers and sisters. So there's an emphasis on okay, make, making, uh, meeting the basic needs of, of others who are struggling to do that. But I do think there's a kind of principle of more general application um, here. A principle being that when we serve another Christian, we're serving uh, Jesus himself. And so you can take that into the church. You can say, you, you, you can um, think about that in terms of all of the different uh, ministries about when, you, when someone's welcomed at, at the front of, of the church when we're coming in, when just all, all through all of the different aspects uh, of um, the life of the church that we might see uh, the service um, and helping our brothers and sisters uh, as one where um, whenever we do that, we do it for the Lord and to the Lord. And that really brings me to uh, the final point that I wanted to, to share with you about, about membership. And that is that membership is a commitment to live out the one another's in the context of the local flock. So if you were to go through the, the New Testament, in fact, if you were to go into the Bible gateway and, and search against one another's, it's amazing the number of verses that come up. Um, I can't go through all of them, but um, I've categorized some and just wanted to, to share these by way of example. The first is that we might love one another, care for one another, exhort and instruct one another, and forgive one another. And I'll mention some of this in a little bit more uh, detail, but what these are meant to do is to characterize life lived out day-to-day at this local church, in a local church. A place where there's opportunities to put these things into practice, and that's what membership membership does I mean off, off, off these the, the most um, common is, is just the, the straightforward command uh, to love one another and then there are others which try and, and be a bit more uh, specific uh, the members are therefore to try uh, are to endeavour to care for each other Thessalonians therefore encourage one another and build one another up the words of Corinthians, we are to, to comfort one another. Or in Galatians, we are to bear one another's burdens. And so we want to come and ask, you know, how can we do that in practice? Well, we can pray uh, for one another, um, to encourage uh, what, and meet in, in home groups or in WhatsApp groups that we can, we can share uh, with each other. I think the, you know, one of the things I, I wanted to emphasize is if we're going to care for each other better, we need to get to know each other better. Because we can't bear each other's burdens if we don't know what they are. And we won't know what they are unless we're willing to share those burdens with others. And we won't share those burdens with each other unless we know each other better, unless we're confident in each other and trust each other and out of that will come um, putting into practice uh, the things to which 
the scriptures call us. So when there are opportunities to go to the church picnic or to go to the hill walk or to go to the golf outing, uh, those things are, are, are enjoyable and are meant to be enjoyable. But there are be- other benefits too as we try to, to get to know each other better. Secondly, the, the, the members of Hebron are to help each other to live lives worthy of the calling that we've received, to exhort one another, to instruct one another. And, and when I was thinking about, about that, I was just drawing to think about some of the interactions uh, that, that I have with uh, other members and the things that I learn from them. Whether it's in the elders' meetings, as I watch the, the other elders interact with each other and the way in which they, uh, they respect each other's views and the willingness to support each other. And when I observe all of that, I'm encouraged to, to live that way. Or when I'm in the home group and someone shares you know, a concern that they have, and a few moments later someone else shares a verse for you know, saying, I have a verse for you that I want to share with you. And when I hear that, I'm encouraged, well, next time someone shares something, you know, maybe I'll try and, rather than just be sort of general and a bit vague and just respond to them in the same way that I would do if, if I wasn't a Christian with some kind of vague hope, maybe I'll be encouraged to share a verse uh, with them. Or when you know, I'm outside at the front after the service and someone's on their own and I see another member here going and and talking to someone, maybe they're just standing on their own or maybe they're uh, visiting. I'm encouraged to do the same. But if I'm not at the elders meeting or at the home group or participating here, I don't see that example and I'm not influenced by it. And so being a member um, is part of being able to to encourage one another, to, to provide the example to one another, to um, to love one another in practice. We are to love one another and care for one another, exhort and instruct one another, forgive one another. Why do you have to be a member to do that? Why you don't in the sense of having your name on a list? But that is what we are called to do and to participate in the body in that way and if you are participating as a member why would you not make that commitment to continue to participate in that way and it may be that there are some um, who have been coming along regularly and who haven't really considered membership Um, and if that's you I'd just really encourage you to speak to to one of the elders uh, about that And for those of us who have been members, maybe members for for some time, it's a good time to to pause and to consider what is my perspective of being a member? What's membership mean to, to me? And what is it that I can do to make that membership real and and meaningful and biblical and all that the scriptures describe about how we are to live lives? Uh, together in service to him and, uh, and each other. Let's um, pray together.
Our, our Father, as we um, come uh, now, we pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom concerning these matters. We pray that you would help us not to be, as we are conformed to the pattern of this world, that we might not be taking our uh, views of membership and of church and of our life together from um, what we would see in the culture and in the world, but rather help us to be transformed in our understanding of that, uh, in the renewing of our minds uh, through your word. And so we pray that you would uh, help us um, to make these things real and meaningful. Uh, We thank you that you have taken us and that you have united us with Christ and that uh, each of our brothers and sisters here have been united uh, with him also. And as we are united with him, we are united with each other. And so we pray that you would help us to live out all that you have called us to do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.